This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman. Co-hosting with me today is Scott Tanfield from Friends of Home and Emilio Donnell. This is our mid-season review part two. We did not have enough time to do everything we wanted to talk about, so that's why we are doing a part two. And in part two, we're going to talk about the topics that have shaped the season so far. That's going to be part one of this episode. And part two of this episode is we're going to be doing a positional review of all the positions. We're also going to be talking about the two managers and also the recruitment under Tony Khan. So we have a lot to talk about in this episode. But before we go on any further, I have to welcome my co-host back to the show. First, Scott, how are you doing? And I want to ask you this question. This is how I want to start. We did part one two weeks ago. Feel any better or feel worse since we've done the last show? Feel worse, to be honest with you. Um, don't think a lot's improved really, Russ, to be honest. Um I think, again, we're sort of dragging our heels in the January transfer window. Yep. Um, you know, the, the Tottenham game, you know, especially after Burnley, felt like another loss, um, especially that last-minute goal. Um, and I'm really struggling now to sort of try and find any positives on, on how we can stay up this season. Okay. And that's a fair way to look at it, my friend. Emilio, over to you. Feeling any better or feeling worse? Yeah, admittedly, yeah, I'm feeling worse. I'm over the optimist, but, you know, there's we've... We keep taking the lead and not killing games off and losing games. So it's not much to be confident about at the moment. But, you know, we would have hoped there would have been one or two additional signings to strengthen our squad. We haven't, we've not seen that. So as per usual, we'll go into, into crucial games. You know, we're still a few days at the end of the transfer window, but you know, why aren't we doing our business a lot earlier? And I think you know, there are factors for that. And maybe we can touch on those in, during our discussion tonight. But, yeah, yeah. I, I do generally feel a little bit more downbeat. But, you know, I still think there's hope. You know, if we win the next two games, you never know. You know, funny things do happen in football, and it just takes two consecutive victories uh, for us to have more belief. But we've got to take these two chances. If not, then it's I think it will be curtains if we don't get six points in the next two games. Okay, excellent there, Emilio. 
All right, guys, let's get into this. And uh, I have several topics I want to go through and uh, because I, w- I want to try to get an idea of why foam are where they are. We, we've already done the blame pie in part one, but this is a little bit different. This is going to talk about situations that have arisen throughout the season. So, Scott, I'm going to start with you. We talked actually about this in part one, but I want to get a, a feel for you. How much of a factor was the lateness of so many summer signings being integrated in the team has affected them up to this moment? Um, yeah, I mean, we spoke about this last time, and I think <clears throat> it's a crucial part of, um, you know, why we are in this position today. Um, you know, players arrived late. Um, there wasn't enough integration um, between, you know, the old players and new players coming in. Um, you know, and I, I do feel on top of lack of quality in certain areas, it's it's a massive factor of us. I agree with you, Scott, and we'll get into this more, but I've given this a lot of thought about the players that have come in. And forget about the amount that has been talked about over and over again. I keep going back to this because I look at some of the players that I think have underachieved, but I also have something that I want to ask you and then I want to ask Emilio. The summer signings, when I look at them, and I look at many of them, didn't have a lot of Premier League experience. Now, Andre Sherla did, Timothy Fosamensa did, but you were bringing in other players that did not have that experience. I think that's a huge factor in this as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I think we all kind of thought that once we stepped up that, you know, we, we had a handful of players there that, that, that could have made the grade, um, and that hasn't happened as well. So, I mean, that's that's another factor. I mean, you know, we've gone out and bought what I class as like, um, you know, a few Rolls-Royce signings in right. across the Syria and, and Shell, but then we all thought um, that, that Sessignon would, you know, severely uh, step up. You know, we thought that Kearney would um, seriously step up. Um, we all thought that, that maybe McDonald would do a job in this division. But um, it's it's very bitty all over that squad when you look at kind of we've, we've got sections of players where you know we've got a couple that are good enough, but you know the players around them are not good enough. Um, you know, they don't seem to interconnect on on um, you know a footballing level. Um, it, they just seem very disjointed. Um, yes. But then we look at clubs, Russ, that come up to the Premiership before, you know, and these players have made the step up and, you know, they've continued playing in that division. Um, is it unlucky? Possibly. But then, you know, from, from a statistical point of view and from the owner's point of view, we should have been looking at that and, and making sure that these players were ready to sort of group together. Totally agree, Scott. That's why I want to bring that up. Emilio, over to you. I want your thoughts of our discussion starting off with the lateness of a lot of these signings, but I want to throw this into the mix. As as I already said to Scott, I've been giving this a lot of thought, and Scott brought up a very good point. Many of these players are coming in at different levels, different experiences, not just in England, but in Europe, and there's no cohesion amongst the players that have come in with the players that were already here, and they're all at different levels. Some are at championship level. Some can play at the Premier League level but it hasn't all come together. So I want your thoughts about all of this. Yeah, I think, you know, I turned the clock back. So, you know, back in August, when you know when we heard all these signings coming in every moment, you had a new player signing, another quality signing. You know, I think most of the fans were satisfied with our transfer dealings. I was on with that. You know, what was the, if we had to do a vote now and how many people voted positively post-transfer yeah. window shut, I think we would have all actually been, you know, very, very inspired. We spent a lot of money. You know, Seri came with, you know, Good, good reputation. Barcelona's of this world were, were after him. 
Anguissa played in in a you know Europa League final, you know, for a, for a strong French team. You know, Mawson, highly rated centre defender, you know, British centre defender. So there was Sergio Riga coming in on board, you know, good experience in the Champions League. So these are these are players who, you know, on paper we thought actually these, this will strengthen the areas. I think what we didn't expect is Scott touched on it was maybe the, the championship players who we believe had the ability to performance level not stepping up to that level. Yes. You know, Johansson's, Kearney's, McDonald's, Ayute, Cabana, they're not to be seen. You know, these are the midfielders. You know, disappointingly, Kearney's had a poor season. Sessignon's struggled a bit, I'll be honest with you. He hasn't he hasn't set the world alight this year, so um, that's been a bit of a concern. But, you know, you've got... De- Mawson came in very highly rated. Unfortunately, came in with an injury, and now he's got another injury. But you know, I thought all of us were satisfied with our transfer dealings. It's, you know, were they the right place for Jokanovic? What was Jokanovic's input yeah. to all these to these signings again? So, you know, it's obviously quite clear from day one that he probably had limited input into these signings. Um, he was chopping and changing his 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 plays game in game out. He just couldn't find a steady formation, and I think that half the reason why we we've started poorly and not really recovered. But Overall, you know, you know, we, is it the coach's issue that we didn't integrate the players, or did we try to play too many of the new signings and not giving the championship players sufficient time? It's just been a, a combination of errors, in my opinion. Okay. But ultimately, on paper, we were all pretty much satisfied as fans with who we signed. I was. Really think, go ahead, Scott. What Milo was saying, and I think also what we've had thrown into that mix as well is that we've had a lot of kind of issues, I think, behind the scenes. You know, when the stories mm. are coming out of certain players. You know, not kind of liking new players that are coming in. Um, That's a factor too. Without yeah. naming names, we've we've had other issues behind the scenes there at the club. We've we've had a lot of turmoil there again. We just yep. can't seem to get away from this. And for me, you know, it was such an important step from the Championship to the Premiership, and, and that platform had to be done so well. And and I know that we're sort of you know the blame pie here is on the players and the coaches and everything else, but I think from from a club's point of view, I think we haven't learned the lessons of having the stability when coming up and, and, and trying it again at the premiership level. Okay, very good there, Scott. And I just want to say that these situations we're talking about behind the scenes could be a factor. I said factor. It could be a factor. It's just, you know, again, we, we don't know, but there's just a lot going on there. And, Scott, I want to go back to you because uh, I've given this a lot of thought, <clears> and that Emilio, I think, brought up a reason about the slow start, but I'm curious your view on this. Why do you think Fulham didn't kick on after the Burnley match? I got to be honest with you. I thought at that point we were going to start moving forward. I had a good feeling after that match, first half against Brighton. I I could just see we were just going in the right direction, and then it went backwards. Yeah, I think we started brightly as any new team would. It's a new environment. Um, you know, we're eager to get going. You know, I think we got lucky against Burnley because we we smashed them so early and got the goals. But I mean, we you know we still conceded two, but. I think as Burnley went on, you know, they kind of improved defensively. They, they're back to their, their usual self where they're, they're kind of a bit more resolute in defence. And I think if we'd have come up against Burnley in that kind of situation, um, we'd, we'd probably be, you know, a lot worse than we are now. Um, the quickness of, of um, Slavisa's football maybe kind of got us quicker goals in this division. Um, yep. But we were still, you know, hemorrhaging goals at the other end. I mean, the Brighton game, right. um, we never come away with that with the two-two. We should have, we should have at least been, you know, two-nil up, and the game should have remained that. It's just for me, it's a catalogue of errors, game in, game out, Russ. Um, yes, you know, and and as the season goes on, I just look at you know the players that we've got, and 
you know, if if I said to you, and, and the same as Emilio, you know, we sat down and said, right, well, we're going to start with a back four of Christie, Adoy, Reem, um, <laughs> you know, match, um, you know, the Martian and, and possibly Brian, um, people will be having kittens. Um, that's Absolutely. a half. That's a half decent championship side, but then you, you <laughs> wonder why you you sort of conceding goals and making mistakes at this level that you do. Not one of them is is Premiership quality. Um, and I'm sorry, I mean it's you know a doy. Reem, I, I love what they've done for us last season, but they right. should be nowhere near the squad this year. Um, you know, the fact that we haven't gone out and bought ourselves, I mean, I know we brought Morton in, but he was injured. Yes. And you could even argue he come from a Swansea side that was relegated. Um, so he's not really, you know, a kind of a mid-table sort of premiership sort of quality defender. Um, I just can't believe that we never went out and actually got a leader at this level. Um, you know, Mr. Quiet Tom Kearney has, has been leading the Pipe Pipers all season, and it's not worked, has it, really? Well, we're going to talk about leadership in just a bit because I think that's a factor in all of this, too. Emilio, over to you. Your thoughts on what Scott and I talked about after the Burnley match. You were talking about the early start by Fulham and, and some of the issues that we're having, and uh, I think this is a, a very good point to look at. Why did it all go wrong after that? Scott talks about the championship defense. I couldn't agree with him more. And but there are other factors as well. What are your thoughts about why it's gone wrong since the Burnley match? Um, I think a lot of first the, time, than, by the way. Yeah, so rather than sort of touching on the points we've already discussed, things like tinkering, too much tinkering, you know. So again, you know, new players, you you want to sort of get to know them, you sort of play them in positions. It was we ch- kept changing goalkeepers three times. You know, defensively, we never had a, a, back, a steady back. No ball. stability. No, no, no. How can you how can you push on when you've got no stability? One minute I'm playing, next minute you're playing. One minute I'm dropped, next minute I'm injured. It's how demoralising it to a player that you make, you know, make a, a mistake. Like Mawson, for example, beginning of the season, you know, was, you know, wasn't at his best, made a few errors. He got, you know, immediately dropped. But you have to learn from your mistakes. And sometimes you have yeah, to be given the, and the ability to, to recover from those mistakes and push on for the next game. But nothing worse than being, you know, kicked in the teeth, dropped to the bench after you've made, made one average performance. And there was too much tinkering. I think that's something that maybe it doesn't get yep. discussed enough. You know, we tried to play... A, it was a very rigid style of football, which wasn't working. But you're also changing the back four, your goalkeepers, time and time again. And that, in my opinion, also created backroom issues, dressing room turmoil, to Scott's point. And you know, it's, how demotivating is it for an individual player? One minute you're in the, you're in the, you're in the, in the teams for starting eleven, next week you're not even in the squad. So something's not quite right there. And I think there's too much tinkering, um, which also resulted in us, you know, trying to find a winning formula. We never found that winning formula, and that's the problem. And you know, I remember I said after the Crystal Palace game, I remember I said it felt like we were a top six championship team in in the FA Cup trying to beat Crystal Palace at home. I remember I remember saying, and that's what it feels like at times, you, you know, we're not quite good enough. We're a top six championship team. But when we do play an established Premier League team, we've, we've struggled this season. You know, we've had moments here and there, but ultimately we haven't had enough moments. and We haven't found that formula to get a success week in, week out, which is why we are where we are. But it's, I just think, how would you say the uh, stubbornness of Jokanovic at this level? Right. You know, he maybe got away with it in the championship. He hasn't. He never got away with it this division. You can't keep tinkering and changing week in week out and expect to get results. And that's the reason why we were conceding goals for fun. Well, you just led me into my next topic for you, Emilio, because I was going to say the unwillingness yeah. of Savisa to change his style. And you just brought up wonderful points because if you marry that with the tinkering, you don't have any. Solidity, you don't have, again, you have a team that is unhinged. Yeah, 
exactly. And you, let's take the, the Bettinelli situation. First, we bring Fabri's. Why was Bettinelli not starting as a goalkeeper? So, you know, there's a lot of speculation, but, you know, he presumably, I think we, we've heard that he wanted to move to another club, a, a close to Chelsea. That never, that, that never went through. He threw his toys out of the pram, but Jokanovic dropped him on the bench. Well, Fabri couldn't speak a word of English, you know, was left a lot to be desired in his first couple of games. And, you know, and the next minute, Bettinelli's got an extended contract. He played a few games, his contract was extended, and he's, he's dropped again to the bench. Now, if you look at that on paper, if you're a Marcus Bettinelli, what would you think? And it's, 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 a, it's a style that's affected the players. It's the, maybe the actual management of the players as well. And, and that's, that's affecting performances and morale on the pitch. And you can see yep. shoulders are dropped. Confidence is very, very low, even not just now, I'm talking about even six, three or four months ago, when results weren't coming, you know, weren't forthcoming. You saw players, their mentality, they just, just felt defeated week in, week out. And a lot of it's to do because, you know, you know, you, A, you're getting your, your bottoms kicked by your manager in the dressing room, you're getting dropped. And I think that's just unfortunately played a lot into the hands of the, uh, the opposing teams that keep whipping us week in, week out. So disappointing, but it's just, stubbornness in his style of football which wasn't working and also the manager man management that's a great point over to you scott because i wanted to bring up the unwillingness of savisa to change his style and Milio just talked about that but it's also the man management i think that's a huge part of this as well your thoughts well yeah i mean <clears throat> for me it's a style of football that you know coming back to having a championship back four um i think there was a stubbornness there with sort of Issa when Mawson was fit and he still didn't want to play him. Um, I think rumours have come out that for him, he felt he was too slow on the ball. Um, for me, it's, you know, playing that ball around the back with the quality we had, we, we were going to get whipped game in, game out. Um, I mean, sometimes at this level when, um, <clears throat> you know, you, you, you sort of are a lower end sort of team in that division, Rather than trying to pass yourself out of trouble, you, you hoof it into row 24. Um, you know, and I think if we'd have done that a few times in this division under Silvisa, I think we might have saved ourselves a few points because I would Good like point. to see a statistic of the 50 goals that we've conceded so far, how many of those are individual errors. I really would. Um, I would have to one. say a good amount of them have to be, Scott. That's a wonderful point because I was trying yeah. to think. What has been the difference? And it's these individual errors that have killed us each and every time. Yeah, I mean, I might point that to, to Mike Gregg because he's pretty good with statistics. Yeah. Try and find out. Um, because, again, I say it's, it's, and I think the stubbornness to try and change how we were playing at the beginning is also a factor. We, you know, we didn't have the players to be playing sort of like a Barcelona esque kind of pass around a back football in this division. In the Championship, we got away with it. But we're trying to do it with the same players, you know, in a massive jump in, in, in a division that's full of quality, Russ. And, um, yep. Again, you know, his, his stubbornness to change that's probably had an effect as well, you know. I totally agree. It's, you know, again, it's a combination of a lot of factors, but I think we're hitting on exactly what's been going wrong. And I keep going back to the individual errors, Scott, and why do they keep happening? I, we saw it in the very first match against Crystal Palace, and I just had to ask myself, why did we get beat by Crystal Palace? And it just came down to mistakes that these teams don't make. A Roy Hodgson team doesn't make those types of mistakes often. And you have to ask yourself, why did it keep on happening? Why were we seeing it continue throughout the season? Because it wasn't just one match. It wasn't just one opponent. It continued throughout the first half of the season, Scott, these individual errors. 
Yeah, it's just it's, it's quality of players, Russ, and I'll say it again. Right. I, mean, I agree with that. Um, we, we, we've got no one of experience that's played in this division that, that knows how to come up against certain teams, certain players. And I know people say, oh, it's, it's a learning curve and this and that. And it is, but it's a very quick learning curve in this division, not like we found out. You know, you lose three or four games on the bounce and you can, you can be relegated shortly after Christmas. Um, this isn't the championship. We don't have time to turn it around. And, no. You know, unfortunately, we've, we've gone through that process and we now found, find ourselves sort of seven points adrift. Um, you know, rather than playing the Barnsleys, and this is no, um, you know, this is no kind of um, need to put these guys down, but we haven't got the Barnsleys and the, the Burtons to start turning things around. You know, we've, we've, we've got two games that we've got to try and nick points from and then we're straight into a, a lovely Sky broadcast of Liverpool, Man United and I think it's Man City, aren't we, all on the TV? Yeah. Um, you know, and by then we could, could be completely dead and buried by then. It's, um, it's, it's a tough league and it's, it's an unforgiving league, Russ. Um, totally agree. And, I, and I'm still, I'm still, you know, why we didn't sign anyone with any kind of, you know, premiership experience at the back is, is still, it's still miffed. I totally agree, Scott. It's funny because when I was really looking at it, and I know we brought in Moss and we've already talked about that, and, and I understand that one. But there are others where I'm just shaking my head thinking, why wasn't there more Premier League quality? We did bring in some players, Calum Chambers, obviously. But he ended up in a, as a defensive midfielder. They did bring in some, but I don't think that they brought in enough. And, you know, I think that's been part of the problem. I think part of what they did was they were buying, like you say, these Rolls-Royce players on potential and really not thinking how would they be able to acclimate to the Premier League. Just, oh, you know, we'll, we'll get them here. And it just hasn't worked out as smoothly as they probably had hoped. All right, Scott, let's go right back to this because uh, I, I know your answer on this because I remember talking to you about this, but I think this is something that we should talk about. Again, let's revisit this. We now have uh, Claudio Ranieri. Did we need to change the manager at the time that we did this? Um, yeah, I think, <clears throat> I think we did. Um, I think we needed a change because I think as much as a great coach Savisa was, um, his stubbornness, I think, um, will, will make us lose heavily. Um, okay. His style, you know, wasn't working in his division. We we needed, you know, a, a no nonsense type manager. We've made the change in Claudio Ranieri. Um, for me, we haven't seen a lot of change yet. Um, is he the right guy? Thought we needed. I mean, we don't know. Um, I mean, I've. I like Claudio Ranieri, but at the wrong end of the table, is he such an effective coach? I don't know. Um, he's a little bit older now. He's a bit of a dinosaur. Um, you know, and it's tough going down there. Um, yeah. I'm not really seeing any type of improvement. I mean, the only thing that we've seen is we've, we've tightened up a little bit and then we fall off the ropes again. Um, and we're not playing as much tippy-tappy football and we're going a bit longer. Uh, but again, we, we don't have the players to cater for a style for that type of coach. True. And we're still making the mistakes, Scott. But it's still a championship back for us. Yes. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you get Pep Guardiola <laughs> in there. Um, you know, you, you're not going to resolve that issue until you start bringing people in. And this is my, you know, and we're all we're all full of anxiety at the moment. I mean, we've got yeah. four days left in this window. Um, we haven't seen, you know, a centre-back come in yet. Um, I you know, agree. We've been linked with and... You know, it's, I don't know, people, you know, and, and I've had these arguments and discussions with people on, you know, on social media about, you know, it's a January transfer, these things take time, you know, players, you know, they, they might not want to come to us and it, that's that's fine, but it doesn't resolve our situation. 
you know, we're four days, you know, away from the end of a January transfer window, and we're still in the same position as we are at the beginning of it. We haven't improved, you know, anywhere, but a position bar babble. Um, you know, we've got a championship back four. We go into another game that's winnable if we can add quality, and it's not going to happen. Um, yeah. You know, and we're seriously making a rod for our own back at this moment in time. It just seems decision after decision that we seem to make just goes against us, really does. Very interesting there. Over to you, Emilio. You and I talked a great deal about changing the manager. I believe at, at the time you were feeling that was the right thing to do. Do you still feel that way? Absolutely. You know, no no manager in this world will get away with seven consecutive defeats in a you know, that's that's the bottom line. Then the result that you know, a defense that was leaking an average three goals a game, seven defeats on the spin. You know, even Pep Guardiola would not have survived if he was a Man City manager. So every manager's got a different Different priorities, different focuses. So for Guardiola's priorities is to get into, to win this prem, the Premier League and the Champions League. So if he was to win, lose five, six consecutive games, you think he'd still be there? He'd be out the door as well, whether he's Pep Guardiola or not. And you know, at the end of the day, you know, we, you know, survive. You know, let's be very clear: everyone's ambition this season was to survive and and push right. on. We all believe 13, 12, 13 position in the table was achievable, but some of those performances were dire. That Huddersfield game, I can't remember in living memory such a dire performance in that Huddersfield game away. And that was the right. That was a writing on the wall. That game, that performance. You look at those players that day. Now you telling me those players didn't play well or didn't want to play that day. You know, I still believe players have got have got enough power on this pitch to do what they want. Look at Pogba at the moment for Man United. He's a different player. That's right. That's under, a good point. Uh, you know, Solskjaer versus how he was under Mourinho. He's, yep. he's a World Cup winner, but you know he decides what what game he wants to perform, what game, what day he wants to wake out of bed. And I just thought the players on that game against Huddersfield on the Monday night. Diabolical. The players need to take responsibility. Yeah, how does feel? Look, their players wanted it more, Emilio. It was, yeah, it was an effort we, issue. We were absolutely offered nothing that day. Now, that, yeah. that to me was a a sort of that was a, that was a point where enough is enough. You know, you okay. players don't want to play for this team. They don't believe in this system. We're conceding too many goals per game. They're tinkering with the team. I think I think the players said, "Look, we've done well to get where we are, but it's time to try something fresh." Obviously, Ranieri's come in. If you look at the stats, you know we you know. We've changed our brand of football. That goes without saying. So, but you know, like he said from day one, his job is to play from the back, playing to sort out the defence, and then work from work from the back. And we have tightened up. It may not appear that, but you take away the Man United and Arsenal games, I think we've conceded you know, only about eight, nine, ten goals in the, in those ten games that we didn't play Man United or Arsenal. Yep. Was was Kanovich has conceded 31 goals in, in, his, in his time when he was here at the club. So we have tied up at the back. I agree with Scott. We've still got a championship defence, but we're not getting stumped three or four nil by sort of mid-table, mid lower mid-table teams. So we are in games. We've been, how many times have we taken the lead and not won? I've said this time and time again. Burnley, Oldham, I think it was, we went ahead. It's 10, uh, it's, it's ten games so far, Mead. Really. Ten games. We've been in winning situations ten times, I think. Yeah. And we're yeah. not we're not turning the game, and that goes back to the other point that we haven't bought enough quality up front. We keep we've talked at length tonight about the defence. Where's our Where's our attacking options? That's I totally agree, Emilio. It's we, not I, just I, the defence. I've always said I feel like a broken record, but yeah, we've focused too much on trying to sort out the defence when there was underlying problems scoring goals, and that's why you can't get away with staying in this division and scoring on that no more than one goal in a league game in two months. Totally agree. That's relegation material. You know, whether right. you're scoring, whether you're not conceding at the back or not, you can't get away with only scoring on average one goal a game max. 
Well, it's a bad score. combination right now. Weak in goals yeah. and not scoring yeah. enough goals. Yeah. <laughs> it's where we it's, are. Uh, we needed to make a change. Yeah. Maybe okay. we haven't pushed on as much as we would like. We maybe would have liked another five to seven points. We haven't got those, but you know, there's still enough games here that if we can win against the teams around us, then there's 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 hope. But <clears> we've okay. got to do it against Brighton and Crystal Palace. Otherwise, like I've said, it's looking pretty dire after that. Okay, excellent. There, Scott. Back to you. This is one that I think we need to talk about. Do Fulham have enough leadership on the pitch? Can I just say I don't think that they do. There's no Danny Murphy out there. Kevin McDonald is not playing anymore. I would say he would be a leader. Who's the leader that they have on the pitch? Um, for the initial question, no, we don't. We we don't have a leader, and um, we don't have a leader at this level. Um, I believe every team should have a leader um, that's at least played in this division. Um, you know, that can at least give instructions, ideas. You know, support, um, and we don't have that. Um, I mean, for me, the only kind of player that we seem to have out there that has a bit of authority over the game sometimes is maybe Mitrovic. Um, right. You know, he's the only one that seems to be kind of really sort of battling hard, and but he, he seems to be carrying the team by himself at times. Um, everyone else seems to be. Sort I of think he is off. a leader. I I agree with you. I think he's actually a leader, but I don't think they have other players that are no, willing to do he, what he does. No, but he's not the right leader as well. We know. Mitrovic. Okay. Right. And, you know, he, he's a forward and, you know, he, he should be concentrating on what he does best and that score goals. We know that Mitrovic, and we said that against Tottenham, once he gets dragged into on-field arguments and tussles with, with defenders, he, he kind of drifts off from his game and he gets more involved in that. Um, you know, and we, we need Mitrovic to be scoring goals because he's the only, whether we like it or not, he's the only outlet we've got. You know, I've always said, if he gets suspended, he gets injured or sent off, we're in trouble. We don't have another centre-forward at the club. Sure. Um, you know, so, <clears throat> but no, we, we've lacked leadership and coming back to your original question before, um, I believe our main priority for this season, you know, whether you wanted to remain, uh, sorry, to remain loyal to Kearney or not, um, a leader at this level should have been brought in and that should have been one of our first priorities. Excellent there, Scott. Emilio, over to you. I, I totally agree with Scott because when I really thought about this, the lack of leadership on the pitch, I go back to some of... Fulham's leaders of the past, and I brought up Kevin McDonald, even from last season, or my favorite Fulham player, Danny Murphy, a true leader on the pitch. Who do they have out there right now? You can look at Mitro. I think you can look at him, but I think you need someone else, and uh, I don't think that they have enough leadership on the pitch, Amelia. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, if we even look at last season, you know, Kenny wasn't wasn't a, a top top captain, let's be very honest. When things were going well, he got all the plaudits, but when the first half of last season before Christmas, when we were struggling in the low reaches of the division, you know, where where was the leadership then? You know, things, you know, he wasn't delivering as a true captain should be. And, you know, just, I don't think there is any other leaders on the field. The only one I saw who has the potential to be a leader was Mawson. You know, when he did start to play well and started to, to organise the defence, talking to his players, you know, having a good good visibility and good vision as well. I thought he was he would be the ideal uh, you know, leader on the pitch, yep. speak the language, and we will talk about communication issues shortly. But he would be the per- he would be the I see yep. if he stays injury free, the type of leader you want from the back, a Chris Coleman type of player, right? He led from the back, captain from the back, talked to his players, had good vision of the game, and uh, I think he will be a natural captain at this level. But you know, Tom Kenny performances on the pitch, his leadership qualities have been few and far between. And you know, let's let's look at the way the the Kamara Mitrovic incident last month. Now, we're, we're going to talk about that in a second. Absolutely. Yeah, Tom, Tom was de- de- was defended by many supporters. I just felt 
you know, he was he was brushing his hair, Mr. Rather than actually trying to address the problem on the pitch, I didn't see enough authority there, enough, you know, you know physical presence there. Sometimes a, lead, a captain needs to show his authority. He's just like brushing his hair and just jogging along and just saying a few words here and there. Nobody would have taken that ball off Kamara, admittedly, but what he didn't show me was enough leadership, enough authority, and enough control of the situation. That's what you need a leader. Danny Murphy would have sorted that out, and probably exactly. And that that was that's what's missing. So. And we haven't got any talks on it, but when the chips are down, you need some people, you know, your captain to take control of the uh, the, the situation, talk to his players, point, direct, you know, you know, have words in their ears. You know, when right. there's a timeout for an injury, good captains go up to their players, have quiet words in the ears, a bit of hand signaling here and there. It's all, I don't see that with Tom. I don't see that with him on the pitch. And in fact, and then now he's not guaranteed to start, to start week in, week out. That's obviously telling you something. You know. I'll tell you what though, Emilio, I think that Simon Morgan, um, I don't yeah, think yeah. I would have taken that penalty, that ball would yeah. have been taken off him. Absolutely, and that's, that's precisely my point, you know, somebody, he had no authority, and there's a, there's a video clip, you can see that he was jogging towards the incident and just touched, and just quiffed his hair for a bit. Now, come on, you know, focus on the issue, get to that ball, be authoritative, yep. be in control of the situation, and, and shout at your players, but no, he's, he's just not that personality, he's not that character, and we just need somebody with a bit more bit more power. They the absolutely do. No, they are missing that. And you guys are talking about that. And I totally agree with that. Let's go on to another topic. Scott, over to you, because I think this is becoming an issue. I, I didn't realize how much of an issue it might be. But so I want your thoughts on this. I was reading an article. I believe it was in the Daily Mirror. I could be wrong. Talking about the potential of Marcus Bettinelli coming back in for Sergio Rico. And when I was reading the article, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the article in front of me, they were talking about potentially there being communication issues, lost in translation to Rico, that maybe there's something going on with English not being his first language, a language barrier. What are your thoughts about this? I'm going to be honest with you, even if the goalkeeper spoke Swahili, we're still going to sort of concede <laughs> the amount of goals that we're conceding. Um, it's, okay. not the, it's, it's not the problem. Um, okay. And it doesn't have to be made the problem. I think if we remove Rico from his position now, we put Bettinelli back in goal, um, it's going to make the position 10 times worse. Um, <laughs> not, not, not saying that it's because Bettinelli is a bad goalkeeper. We disrupt the unity that we're sort of building at the moment. Um, Great point. And I'm against it. I think if Bettinelli is going to lose a lot of support, I really do. Okay. Emilio, your thoughts on this? Well, I mentioned this before this, this speculation came up last week. I think it was, it was on a full-time show last week. I mentioned it. You know, just seems to be low, no communication between the players, you know, and Rico and the goals against uh, Tottenham last, last Sunday. There just seemed to be a lack of dialogue between the players. And we've seen it time and time again. Isn't, you know, and the fact that these players can't speak English, you know, Fabric couldn't speak a word of English. Rico can't speak a word of English. We mentioned it a week ago. Then the speculation comes out, and I agree with Scott. Our best keeper by a country mile is Rico. Now, the fact that he had a bad game against Tottenham, you don't, you don't drop him right. and play Marcus Bettinelli. He's earned his right to continue to be on a one keeper and should remain there. You know, that would oh, be the best chance to to at least push on. But I'm not saying Bettinelli will, will be a complete failure. Just he, he didn't grab his opportunity earlier in the season. You know, he made a few few good starts, but towards the latter end, last few games, his positional play wasn't great. He made a few mistakes. And that's the reason why he was dropped. And Rico's, you know, you know, has has been a breath of fresh air in a funny way. But unfortunately, he didn't have his best game against Tottenham last week. But we all make mistakes. 
but there is definitely a communication issue with players, whether it's in English or not English. And, and okay. we talked about it, like I said, to talk about it a week or so ago. Okay, very good. Final topic before we talk about the positions and we get into the second half of the show. Scott, I'm going to go back to you, and I'm going to pose this this way because I'm going to ask you about Abubakar Kamara, but it's not just about him. There's been speculation of unrest behind the scenes, not just that situation, but I've heard other things as well. How much have those been an issue with Fulham being where they are today? I think that they play a factor in all of this. Um, yeah, well, of course it does. I mean, <clears throat> when you've got unrest in the camp, it's, it's, it's never good. Um, you're always going to have players that do play up, um, you know, especially when you kind of get to this level. You, you, know, you do attract the Pogbas, you do attract that type of player that their, their egos become bigger than the club. Um, but you've got to ask yourself, how do they get into this position in the first place? You know, why have they been allowed to get to a position that they're in to maybe become disruptive or, you know, behave in a way that they do? It's, it's all down to man management. Um, yep. You know, and you, you look at the positions that we're in, um, you know, and you can possibly say that man management of players hasn't been one of our strong key areas again. Um, you know, and players have been allowed to get themselves in these positions. Um, when you're kind of down there, um, position we are and you've got these issues going on behind the scenes it certainly doesn't help um saying i see on twitter the other day um it made me laugh when they said there's been more arrests at motsford park than there has been at craven cottage in the entirety of Fulham football club which made me really laugh um you know and it's it's something stupid like that which is giving us bad names in the press again it's a conundrum behind the scenes and it's just it's it's all season if we're not a laughing stock on the telly we're laughing it's embarrassing Scott, it's... It is. It is. It is embarrassing, you know. And uh, to me, it just it just goes on and on and on. I just, you know, if you could fast forward to the end of the season and say relegate us now, I would do. Okay, over to you, Emilio. It's funny we have a, a term over here when situations like this happen. I'm talking about Kamara's situation and uh, situations behind the scene that it kind of looks like the lunatics are running the asylum. That's what mm. it feels like at times that there's no control over what's going on there and things are getting out. And as Scott said, and I agree with him, this is embarrassing what's been going on. But I think it also just tells you that there's something seriously wrong with this football club. And the Abubakar Kamara situation just showed me that that uh, I'm probably right about that, that there's something wrong. I don't know exactly what it is, but they are not functioning as a, a football club heading in the right direction. So your thoughts about that, but, I believe you also mentioned something to me off air about what Reem said when Fulham were starting to go in on a bad run of form that you didn't like. So you feel free to talk about that as well. Yeah, we take, we'll go straight on to that. You know, Tim Ream speaking out. He's a you know mild mannered, gentle, you know, won't hurt a fly type of player. But for him to have said that, that clearly said to me at the time, and we had, a, I remember talking about this on the show that. There was there was unrest at the club then. This is back in November time, so we're already right. going through a period of you know, of poor performances, consecutive defeats, you know, there's and then there's all this destruction behind the scene that didn't come out quite clear. And obviously now we're starting to see the the actual physical evidence of that, you know, some in, you know, on the pitch and off the pitch as well. And don't be surprised some of these other, I think Scott mentioned one point about some of these players with player power, their egos, you know, how much of that's going on between the Series Anguises, who between them are what, what we paid £60 million of transfer fees, Versus Johansson's McDonald's, who we got on the cheap and done a great job in the championship, but again are lacking at this level. So it seems like you've got 
like a, like the poverty and wealth scale. You've got the either too wealthy or too poor. And here you've got either either too big a play in terms of salary, and you've got the other players who are on lower salary. So that's obviously going to create disruption in the team. You know, why is another player come in on three or four times my salary? And, you know, I'm playing and he's not playing and he's only... It's, it's, it causes disruption. It all happens when you're not performing on the pitch and you're not getting results. And look at the... I'm going to take the analogy of, of Man United again with Pogba. Look at all that disruption. Luke Shaw, Mourinho, he knocked that guy's confidence to pieces. Pogba thought he was bigger than Man United. Now, he's, Mourinho's gone. They've won eight games on a spin. We're fundamentally the same players. Very good point there. So, so uh-huh. what's changed? So, again... How can we create some sort of stability? And one thing I'm disappointed with in Claudio Ranieri is he's speaking out a lot more than I would have liked. I think he's, I've known him, you know, like I said, many, for many years ago, I used to know him yep. when he was a Chelsea manager and he rarely would speak out. But now well, he's, he's speaking out a lot. And You're now right. him speaking out, you know, doing a Jose Mourinho a quote again, and that's causing player confidence. Morale drops, heads drop, players want to That's a great team. point there, Emilio. I'm glad that you brought that up. Looking shot to pieces last weekend, had a you know poor second half, and he, he he came on. Kenny's on the bench. It's you know something not quite right there. And the fact that the manager's on record going out yep. to journalists and saying that we need to step up, we're not doing good enough. Certain players aren't you know stepping up to the plate and criticizing individual players that they've still got a lot to learn. Then that doesn't that has the adverse can't you know that basically knocks your confidence for six, and then, and we're seeing that the impact on that on the pitch. So. That's something else which has disappointed me with Claudio, I'll be honest with you. I didn't think he would openly speak up, keep these issues private rather than telling the whole world about them. I totally agree with that. And Scott, before we move on, I want to go to you. I want your thoughts on this because I agree with Emilio. Listen, I'm used to this with the teams I follow here. They try to keep everything in-house. They don't talk about individual players. The majority of the managers, especially the New England Patriots, they actually put more of the blame on themselves. They tried to deflect the blame. And uh, I agree with Emilio because I don't like the fact that Ranieri is speaking out so much about individual players. No, I mean, I don't either. I mean, um, <clears throat> I mean, we don't know 100% what, what's going on there with him and players. Um, and we don't know why certain players aren't stepping up to the plate. Um, you know, why, why is he having these outbursts? Are, are there certain individuals that are refusing to, to play for the club? Are there certain individuals that are not putting in an effort that they should be? Um I mean, another thing for me is that, I mean, the, the coach must be, and I, and I will keep banging on about this because um, it's, it's, it's a big factor in, in how we survive this. And, I mean, he must be so frustrated about the lack of activity that we're having in his January transfer window. I mean, when he come into this job, I mean, obviously he knew what he was taking on, but you know, he, he must have been promised things. He must have been told that he would be backed in this window. Yep. And, uh, you know, one sort of player, and I'm not knocking... Um, Babel, we know, but he's 32, 33 next year. You know, he, he's been given nothing for this fight. Um, and to me, with four days to go in this window, you know, you, we're talking about the structure of the club. We're talking about problems behind the scenes. You know, one of my biggest issues is the way that we uh, persistently, you know, kind of conduct our business. We're always late in doing stuff. Um, we've got people in positions that I feel are inexperienced. Um, and this all, again, bows into that factor of, you know, of the problems that we've got at this moment in time. Sorry yeah. to change a little bit there, Russ. But, no, um, no, no. It's actually a good way to... It, to, um, it re- you know, it really starts niggling me. It really yeah. starts niggling me. And you get a situation where people start saying, oh, you know, when it's January, it's hard to get players. You know, we, we, you know there's agents, there's this and that. And I'm sorry, but some of the best kind of, um, you know, 
directors of football out there have got kind of communication skills and they've got skills to bring players yep. in. You know, we've kind of been a little bit different than others. We we knew what we wanted when Ranieri come to the plate. Um, you know, we should have been out there. We should have been targeting people, not sitting there four days, you know, away from the end of a transfer window with literally nothing coming in. Very good point, Scott. And I'll just end our discussion about topics of the season this way because you actually got me to think about this. And Ranieri doesn't have his team, Scott. Ranieri doesn't have his own players. No, he doesn't. And that's something that annoys always. the hell out of me because I know that I, Emil and I were critical, and, and I don't like talking out on your players. I don't like that, okay? But to defend him in this sense, he doesn't have his team. He, he, he has Slavisa's team. So I agree with you that there's a lot to be done before the end of this window. And, um, you know, when you look at Ranieri, he's fighting upstream because these aren't his players. And, you know, one player isn't enough. And I've said this before. He still needs, I'm talking about Ranieri, probably four players that can come in just like Ryan Babel did. And if they don't do that by Thursday evening when the window closes, then um, – we're going to be in a lot of trouble. We're already in trouble, and and that might be the end of it because they need players to work with Ranieri. Ranieri doesn't have his team, and and that's why when I look at Ranieri, he's doing this with someone else's players. It, it's it's difficult. Anyways, enough, guys. Enough of that. Let's move on. Let's look at the positions. We're also going to be talking about the head coaches and then, of course, Tony Khan. This is the way we're going to do it. I, I was just thinking about this while we're doing the show. I'm going to give you four categories. We're going to do it by positions, but we're also going to be talking about the players. Each position, I want you to rate each position as being excellent, good, average, and poor. So those are your four categories. So it's going to be excellent, good, average, and poor. So, And I have a hard time thinking that any position or anyone else is going to get excellent, but I'm throwing that out there. So whatever you guys think. So let's start with goalkeepers. Emilio, I'm going to start with you. The three goalkeepers this season were Sergio Rico, Marcus Bettinelli, and Fabri. Let's talk about the goalkeepers, and then let's rate the position of those four categories in your mind. Yeah, and, you know, we've, we've we mentioned earlier in the show, we've, we've tinkered. You know, we've played all three goalkeepers, you know, for, gave Fabri the chance to start. You know, he, he had a few howlers at the beginning. He made some crucial saves as well against Tottenham and uh, Crystal Palace game as well, if I recall the first game of the season. He made the howler, but he also re- redeemed himself. So then Bettinelli came and played, you know, seven to eight games. You know, didn't set the world alight, but maybe steadied the ship. But And Rico, then then Bettinelli gets dropped. Rico comes in and, you know, has looked a lot more assured. So, you know, on paper, if you have Sergio Rico as your main goalkeeper and Bettinelli as your backup, you'd expect that to be a fairly decent goalkeeping situation. Nothing like mm-hmm. the likes of Mark Schwartz or Van der Sutter and the, like the goalkeepers we've been best in the past. But, you know, the moment I have net net, you probably say that's an average um, goalkeeping position. With the average, with okay, average. okay. But, you know, there have been moments where we've looked more short, and have, you know, there's some of the games. You know, how many how many saves did Rico make against Wolves, Wolverhampton Wanderers? You know, some of these other games where we've been more tight at the back, so Rico's not been very busy. That's all because we have tightened at the back. But overall, hopefully, he will be, he will remain our number one keeper. Will recover from his mistakes last week. But yeah, overall, I think we've had an average. Uh, average goalkeepers this season, but if it was Rico all season, I think that we, you know we, we think that more likely to be a good rather than an average. Okay, okay, very good. Over to you, Scott. Your thoughts about the goalkeepers and Emil gave it a rating of average. Your thoughts? 
Yeah, I think I mirror that. It's been about average. Um, and I think Amino kind of touched on sort of the whole situation there. Um, <clears throat> all I said coming up from the championship, um, that normally the first thing that the team does is, is, is tend to replace their goalkeeper. Um, they bring in a, a keeper of premiership quality. Um, yes, obviously, um, Bettinelli deserved his chance, but we, we kind of know he's not quite at that level yet. Um, but what we did go and do is we went out and rather than get you know an experienced goalkeeper being foreign that's played in this division, um, we went out and got two foreign goalkeepers that can't speak a word of English, um, which is obviously caused us um, obviously problems on top of what we've got. We had to then revert back to Bettinelli, um, and then obviously from from Bettinelli not being quite good enough, we then obviously had to go in from. Um, with Rico. Uh, for me, Rico is a better with the three goalkeepers. Um, I agree again with Emilio. I don't think we're blessed with the quality we've had in the past from Schwarzer, Van der Sar, you know, Niamey. I mean, we've, yep. we've been blessed in, in that position. Um, we've got a kind of an average start this season in the goalkeeper position. Um, he needs to stay for the rest of the season. Um, if we survive, I expect another change there and we buy someone better. Okay, excellent. All right, let's move on to the fullbacks. Scott, I'll go right back to you. And we'll do them together, right back and left back. We'll just call them fullbacks. So I'm going to give you Cyrus Christie, Timothy Fosu Mensa, Joe Bryan. Ryan Sessnion has mostly played up top, so I'm not going to put him in that category. And, of course, Dennis Adoy, you could put a fullback as well, but I'm going to be putting him in the center back category because that's where he's been playing mostly. So let's talk about the fullback situation. If you're asking me, I'm I'm gonna say outright it's poor. So what rating would you give it? Yeah, poor. I'm not even gonna kind of sort of really step on this because I think I've um, spoke about that back for enough in, in <laughs> this episode. Um it's it's poor. It's awful. Um again the position that we should have strengthened in. Um I mean, even with Brian, he's a great championship player. I don't think he's great, I think he's average and probably do your job down that division. But again, we've gambled yeah. in that position, Russ. Um and we we fall They bought him on potential, Scott. They thought that he would be Matt Target, and he's not Matt Target. No, but then you, you know you raise questions with Matt Target whether he's even kind of great at this level. We we, we kind of never knew. Um, yeah. But again, it's, it's it's both positions. Again, I mean that whole back four is something I just want to forget about. <laughs> okay, over to you, Emilio. Scott and I both have it a poor. Where do you have yeah. it at? Won't disagree with that. I think it's if we look at individual players like Mensa, you know, when I was actually quite excited when he joined at the beginning. So of the was I. You know, I thought he's got he comes with good good you know, reputation, you know, at his at his you know mate, at his own club and he's you know, he played he actually had a good game against Matt Tottenham. I went you know, going to Wembley, see him again way to Tottenham. He had, actually had a steady game and he got better as each game went on. Unfortunately he picked up an injury and he was never quite the same when he came back. Christie then took over and you know <laughs> You know, every time I see Christie in defence, I always want to shut my eyes. I don't want to see because I, I just worry. You know, I just I feel very, very nervous with him. He was, he was, he's never a Premier League player. Yes, he plays for Republic of Ireland, but ultimately he's very, very poor. You know, admittedly, he does do a few good surging runs, but that final ball is very, very poor. It lets him down. And you know, if we had maybe Fredericks, so who I don't think is a massive upgrade on him, but Fredericks at least may have may have ventured forward a lot more and maybe got more delivery into the box. And Joe Bryant, to Scott's point, I. I don't see what the what the what the fascination is of Joe Bryan. You know, I don't see what he offers game by game. We saw how how weak he was in that fight, that goal against Tottenham last week, and he's just he's not a Premier League def- defender whatsoever. And he's he I honestly would drop him. I don't I don't think you know we keep saying stability is important yep. here, but I've not seen what the big fuss is about Joe Bryan. You know, he's okay. he's disappointed. He's got worse and worse game by game in the last few weeks. 
Let me ask you, would you consider putting Ryan Sessegnon back there again? To be honest, I, if anything, I know Sessegnon has been more of an impact sub in recent games, but if anything, I'd rather have a bit more stability there. And I, I think having Ryan Sessegnon there, I'd feel more comfortable than playing Joe Bryan. Joe Bryan okay. defensively makes me nervous, as does Cyrus Christian. And only one in three, one in four crosses are effective when he comes forward and delivers into the box. So overall, I think he needs to be dropped and let's try something a little bit different. Okay, very good. Right back to you, Amelia. Let's talk about the center backs. We have Tim Ream, Alfie Mawson, Dennis Adoy, Maxine Lemarchand. I'll get us going. I'm going to say poor once again as we're talking about championship back four. Do you agree or do you yeah. disagree? Do you have a different category you put him in? No, absolutely the same. I think, again, there were signs when Mawson came into the team in December time, November, December time, things were starting to change. You saw less goals conceded, a bit more leadership from the back. Mawson and Dennis were starting to form a good partnership there. They were talking to each other. And I saw that if he hadn't picked up this injury, I think we would have pushed on from there and being a lot more tighter in the back. And saying that he's, he's picked up a knock. Tim Ream you know, has, has struggled at this level. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, and people may disagree with me, but Dennis Fadoy has been our best defender this season. That may not say much, but we know he makes mistakes. But his, his you know, the way he, 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 the height he manages to generate when he's heading, you know, jumping up for a ball, amazing. You know, he leads, sometimes I actually think he leads from the back. Could he be a future captain if we get relegated? Because what you see with Dennis Fadoy is 100% passion. Whether we're winning 3 0 or losing 3 0, he will give you his all. Yes, he'll make mistakes, but so do the other players. But Dennis Fadoy gets a lot more stick from fans and some of the other defenders. I actually think he's been our best defender this season. It may not say much, but I actually like Dennis Adoy, despite his weaknesses at this level. Okay, very good. Scott, over to you. I'm, I know it's going to be poor, but uh, I, I want to ask you, go back and talk a little bit about Alfie Mawson, because I think out of the group, he's the one that has the most potential, but uh, I don't think that you can say anything, but poor, you've already pretty much said it's a back four that's uh not good, so I'm assuming that's what you're going to say. Well, in regards to Mawson, Russ, sorry. Well, well, first of all, I'm Mawson, but but I'm assuming that you have this rated. Oh, sorry, in, 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 yeah. I mean, um, I mean, in regards to Mawson, we, we bought him with the potential from Swansea, but as we know, um, we bought him with an injury. Um, I don't think we should have even been entertaining that, considering obviously the step up that was required. Um, we didn't need players in that we were going to wait for. See, I'm right there with you, and I've been criticised for saying that that uh, we should have went for him because it was a good deal, because he was injured. I disagree. They needed a player to step right in, and I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it. I just, for me, I think there were better choices out there. Um, potentially, he could have been a good defender, uh, but it wasn't what we needed. If we were a sort of um, established premiership side, I would have maybe taken the risk and bought him through, um, you know, rehabilitation, you know, built him up or whatever. But for me, again, um, I just thought that was stupid, really. Um, I'm sure he'll be a good centre-half down in the Championship. Um, he's on a decent contract, and I think that's the only way we can really look at him because I don't think he's going to be back much before that. Um, but outside of that remit, as I said, we, we've only got Reem and Adoy, who we know yep. that, um, are both Championship quality. Um, you know, um, and, and the same as what Milo is saying, I'm, I'm not going to knock a door this season because his efforts have been head and shoulders above everyone else. He's always got a mistake in him, but unfortunately he is championship level and that's what you're going to get with him. Um, so again, oh, I mean, you know, centre-back's poor, Russ. Yeah, totally agree. All right, Scott, let's now go to central midfield. Then I'm just going to name the players. We'll start there. Stefan Johansson, 
Tom Kearney, Kevin McDonald, Callum Chambers, John Michael Seri, and Frank Zambo and Giesa. We'll all put them together as central midfielders. Now, this is interesting because uh, I'm very curious your thoughts on what you're going to rate this. Your thoughts on the central midfield for Fulham. Um, I mean, it's been it's been pretty. I would say not poor, but poor to average. Um, okay, so kind of in between. In between, I mean, we've had players that we thought uh, would have stepped up to this division. I mean, Kearney hasn't clearly stepped up. Um, I think we kind of knew that Johansson and McDonald um, weren't really going to make the transition. You know, too slow. Um, but in the championship, they're good box to box. You know, sort of um, central defenders. Um, Siri, I kind of feel for him a little bit. Um, I think he's kind of a shining star in a poor midfield. I honestly feel that he would do a lot better if he had a bit more quality around him. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of his mistakes and a lot of the pressure that he gets from the fans are from from mopping up and trying to sort of push his abilities from from the people that he's got around him. I don't think he has a lot of support. Um, I think for me, on a game-to-game basis, he probably is one of our bright midfielders. Um, yep. And Greta, I just don't know how you can warrant thirty million for him. Um, the, the guy at this moment in time just wouldn't look out of place in the championship, Russ. And I think we'd struggle to actually keep him down there on the salary that he's probably on. To be honest, yeah. um, and to be honest with you, Scott, just to go back to about Angisa, what bothers me about this, and I know it was a last-minute deal because it happened at the end of the window, and it was a huge price tag. So obviously, we're looking at the price tag, and we're, I'm more concerned about. How is he going to play with Fulham Football Club? And what I've read since then in some publications is, you know, troubling when it comes to bringing this player in. They brought him in, I think, based on the potential. And I don't think they did enough homework on this guy to see if he would fit in, one, into Savice's system, and two, into the Premier League. That's where I think the club is to blame on bringing in Ngisa. Yeah. I mean, there's rumours floating around again during the week that he he was another one that was bought on the basis of a video, wasn't he? Um, he wasn't actually, no one was sent out to go and scout him. Um, well, if that's the case, that's horrible, if it's, if honestly. It, if, it's, if, it, if it is true, um, yeah. again, um, I'm not a fan of that. But let's, it's a rumour. Let's, let's not, let's not okay, we'll, it. Okay, we'll call it speculation. But, yep. Yeah, speculation. But, I mean, the, the thing is, I mean, he's not even an exciting sort of player that he's coming back from injury and you think he's going to make um, a difference. I mean... It's like when uh, Lee Clark got injured and he under Coleman, and he ended up coming back for us. He was like having a brand new signing. Um, I mean, you can't even say that about Angie. So it's you just don't know. I mean, what you're going to get? Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not a fan, you know. So for me, Russ really get back on sort of track. It's kind of yep. poor to average. Poor to average. Okay, so in between there. Miller, over to you. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that. that... The disappointment there is I think we all suspected that Stephanie Hansen and Kevin McDonald wouldn't would struggle at this level and they obviously have. But yep. and Tom, you know, I'm, I'm being quite scathing of him of late, as you know, and I think he's been a major disappointment for us. Callum Chambers playing in a makeshift midfield role, you know, maybe he's doing he's performing more admirably there than he was in central defence, that's for sure. But you know, Seri, I think to touch on Scott's point, I think this guy's got a lot of forward vision, got a lot, you know, the got a lot of potential, but the players around him just aren't good enough or quick enough as well. And I think that's the problem. So he likes to pass the ball back quickly, but you know, sometimes a lot of the balls are misplaced because either players aren't on the same on the same wavelength as him, 
have yep. anticipated that sort of forward run and that forward pass, and we give away possession very, very cheaply. And so yeah, that's not on really, the same page, Emilio. That's the problem. So you know, he is a good player. He's not a bad player overnight. He's just playing in a poor team, and yep. you, know, he, you know, he's it's not that he's being found out. The fact that the other players are being found out because they're not up to the same level. It's, it's quite clear. And and Gisa, not much more to say other than what I've said in the past. He's just like a totally hopeless. Hopefully, okay. he'll eventually recover from his injury and may, may get some games before the end of the season. But we've seen nothing to suggest that he's going to make a difference when he does come back from injury. So, okay. to be honest, you know, and average is, is, is quite generous, in my opinion. Okay. So, okay. I also want to mention, I forgot, forgot mm-hmm. to mention the name of Ibrahim Asise because he goes into that category too. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, I was trying to figure out a way to do this next part. We'll, we'll just call these wide players, even though that some of them really. You know, again, you can question if they're strikers, if they're wide players, but let's put them in this category of wide players, of wingers. Say Niskins Cabano, Floyd Aite. I'll put Ryan Sessignon there, and we'll say Andre Sherla there. So, Emilio, over to you. What kind of rating would you give, say, the wide players for fall? Again, average to poor, again, really, to be honest with you. know, what we have lacked this season is width. You know, we don't we don't have enough width, don't have enough quality. When Seth John's come on as an impact sub, you know, he's he's come on and made some some difference into that team. But overall, the Ite and Cabano, when they've been given their chances, haven't stepped up. Cabano last week against Tottenham, he was you know mistakenly brought on instead of Tom Kearney. But when he did come on, what did he offer? Nothing. He he, he barely touched the ball. So it's quite clear these other guys, fringe players, not good enough. When they are given that opportunity, they're not making a difference. And but we just don't have enough width. And that's 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 what you know. I like to play. I like us to, to play sort of an expansive type of football, but yep. also a bit of pace, a bit of width. On paper, you look at these players, and you all, you know, we have got Vieto, some, you know, who's like plays plays that wide. You got Sessignon, all quite quick players. Yep. But they're in and out of games. They're not making them. They're not making that difference. And that's the thing, you know. We, you know, if we actually look at all our man of the matches players yep. who've got man of the matches this season, it's either been a goalkeeper or Mitrovic on average. <laughs> that's, yep. What does that tell you? You know, it's. Uh, that's a problem, but you know, disappointing. I'm going to say average to poor for the average to poor. Wide, and let's wide. put Luciano Vieto in that category as well. Yeah, I think he should be more in that category. And again, he had a good game against Burnley. You know, yep. when we we beat them early in the season. But when he's come on, been given the opportunity, looking lightweight, not offering much, not making a difference, and he's been a disappointment as well because I had a lot of expectations from yep. him, but he hasn't stepped up to the plate either. So again, another disappointing signing. Okay, very good, Scott. Over to you. Thoughts on wide players, wingers? You know, I'm trying to put these players in a in a category here because I'm going to put striker as, like, say, a lone striker by itself. So thoughts on these players? What category would you put them in? Yeah, average to poor. Um, so as me, again, um, we, we, we've lacked width and a bit of pace this season. Um, now, Yita and Cabano, again. Um, Championship players. Yeah, I'd expect them to step up, and I think we're seeing exactly what we would expect from uh, at this level. They're not yeah. Premiership players. Totally uh, um, you know, he hasn't stepped up, but then I didn't expect him to anyway. He's still young, and I still think um, that the, the lad will turn out to be a great player. Um, we just knew that this step was going to be a change for him, um, and he will have to adapt. But I, you know, I think he will be at some other club other than Fulham down the line. Yeah. Probably worth a few bob in. in in the near future, Russ. Um, so I'm not really going to put so much pressure on him. Um, you know, I mean, who else? I mean, Vieto, 
again, like you said, we had a decent game against Burnley, but we see nothing of him. He Should I bring up Sherla to you? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about Scherler in a minute. But okay. um, Vieta is, you know, I mean, he, he's just not cut for this division. Um, not enough strength and ability for me. Um, Andre Scherl, let's, let, let's have a dig at him. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, apart from the odd wonder goal, which he does chip in with, um, his work rate and everything else is just appalling. Um, he doesn't track back. He, I, I don't see the guy making tackles. Um I just, for me, and when he came out with in quotes the other day about, oh, oh, Christ, I've never been in a situation like this before when I've been in, and, oh, I, I, things have got to change here. And I just thought to myself, just typical of a player that's never kind of been in this environment before. Yeah. Um, you know, and is he going to kind of be a player that's going to be up for the fight for, for a relegation scrap? And I would say no. Um, again, he doesn't offer a lot of wit for us as a, as a player. Um, I'll be interested to see what Babel does. I mean, obviously, Babel's come in. Um, but yeah, I are mean, you encouraged by what you've seen in one match? I am, but it's just one match. It's just one match, Russ. I mean, we know that you know to Tuesday night he, he could be com- completely rubbish and, and not get any of the ball. We don't know. Um, I'm not going to pin our um, relegation hopes on a 32, 33 year old player that's not played in the country for so many years. It's you know it's, it's just not how it works. But sure. we'll we'll see. Um, again, pause average. Okay. All right, right back to you. Let's talk about striker. And I basically have two names for you, Scott. It's Abubakar Kamara. I have to mention him. He's still with home. And Alexander Mitrovic. So this is interesting because, for me, the fact that I'm mentioning that there are just two here is a problem. So I'm curious what rating you're going to give the striker position. Yeah. And it's probably going to be two become one because I think he's, you know, he's, he's I'd say he's 99.9% out of the door. Um so we're left with with Mitrovic. I, I mean, for me, I know the problems that we've had with with Kamara. I don't know the ins and outs of it, Russ. Um, but you know, bless him. He, he's one of those players that I've always said that, that literally, you know, he, he's got a lot of effort about him, but he struggles. Yeah, he does. I want to give him that. Yeah, he struggles to trap a bag of cement half the time. Um, but as a player, he's come in. He's put himself about at this level where a lot of players haven't. You know, he's put a shoulder in. You know. Um, Penalty situation, yes, it was probably wrong, but he's he's tried showing that he wants to do it at this level. You, you can't knock him for that. Um, it's just unfortunately his end product just isn't of a Premier League standard. Um, you know, he's he's on his way out. I wish him all the best. Yep. Um, you know, but again, for me, we should have had more options in that position. And then we come to Mitrovic, um, yep. who I think. Half the time has probably held this team up from game to game, just his attitude, his work ethic. Um, we know he's not a mobile striker. Um, he hasn't got bags of pace. You know, he, he kind of lurks in around that penalty area or just outside of it, holds the ball up, knocks the ball on, you know, knocks players out of positions or whatever. But he's never going to be able to do it on his own. Um, I always felt that we needed a type of striker to play up with him. To compliment him. Yeah. Um, and we never brought that in again. Um him as an individual, I'm going to turn around and say, good. Um, okay. Just simply because of what he's offered for the only outlet that this club's had. Um, if you could give me 11 Mitrovic's today, I would take them. <laughs> I really would. Well, I'm glad that you put it that way because I'm a fan of Mitro. And uh, I know that he has his detractors, especially the Newcastle United supporters. Again, I still hear from him, like, when's he going to act up? And why isn't he acting like he did with us? And but I think he gives effort. 
in his way, he's given leadership, and uh, he definitely gives you everything that he has. But, again, he's doing a lot of this by himself up there, and uh, that's a good point there, Scott. I think he needs a partner. Over to you, Emilio. Yeah, nothing else to add, really. I think Scott said everything I was going to say. It's uh, you know, he's been a bright spark this season in, in a you know generally very very poor season. But there there have still been moments. You know, there was that period when he went through a bit of a gold mini gold drought when yep. we're seeing what Newcastle fans were, were complaining about. You know, not getting into the game, not influencing the game. Yes, he ha- he hasn't had enough service. Goes back to the lack of quality in the midfield. You know, who who in the midfield will put will pull a, a great pass down down the middle? You know, to to Mitrovic, and you know that's what was missing as well. So his service at time has been lacking. You know, you know, Seri and Gisa, when he's McDonald's, Kenny's, your answer. What do they offer midfield? Where's that quality to your forwards? So Mitrovic has had to do what he does best: win those balls, get those free kicks in dangerous positions. You know, never give up. Always fighting. Always chasing the ball down, winning those valuable corners, putting goalkeepers under pressure. But he needs he needs a foil there. He hasn't got nobody alongside him. And yep. Kamara, when he has played, you know, has given defences problems. But sure. obviously, he likes the finishing, finishing qualities, doesn't he? So, and, and Scherler, you know, you know, as much as I was in, you know, very happy when he joined, I thought this would be a great signing for us. Just doesn't do enough over 90 minutes mm-hmm. or however many minutes he plays on the game. Typically, he's, he's going to be withdrawn after 60, 60, 65 minutes, but offers very, very little other than his wonder strikes, his wonderful wallies. But in, it, he should be the one making those beautiful runs from midfield, getting those telling passes to Mitrovic and linking up with other players, but we're not seeing enough of that. And Mitrovic does sometimes feel a little bit lost in his own up there. Yeah, totally agree there. All right, guys, let's talk about the head coaches and then we're going to talk about Tony Khan, head of recruitment, and we'll end talking about that and then we'll share our thoughts about moving forward. So, Emilio, back to you. Let's talk about Slavisa Jokanovic and Claudio Ranieri. What kind of rating would you give these managers, coaches? I think we've we've got to be quite ruthless here. You know, points it's the points on the board tells us you know how good or bad a season's been. So to be honest, overall we've been very poor in, in a, from a head coach perspective. Yeah, Ranieri's given us a bit of hope. You know, we have tightened at the back, but Kanovic yep. for all his you know style of football and brand of football that we we won many fans around the world playing in the championship. You know that that he struggled you know big time, and that's the reason why he got fired, which is which is a shame. But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a results business and. Dave Wagner at Huddersfield got them promoted after many years out of the Premier League. Struggled. He's been fired as well. So look, there's no sympathy in, in, this, in, this, in, this, in this division. And it's you know you, you're either successful or you're not. If you're not successful, then you're likely to be uh, pushed out. Ranieri maybe hasn't got as many points as I said earlier as we would like, but there's still a, a glimmer of hope there. You know, if we can get a couple wins in the next you know two back-to-back wins, then there's hope. Failing that, then then I think we you know. Ranieri hasn't achieved his objective, which is to keep the team in the division. That's what he was brought into. Uh, but at the moment, it's it's looking slim. But there's still hope. Okay, very good. Scott, over to you. <clears throat> yeah, I think um, in um, Savisa, you know, for, for for all of his triumphs in the championship and the brand of football that he brought us, um, you know, it, it was exciting times and it was great football to be proud of. Um, but, you know, I think he, he really did suffer with the jump. Um, you know, I think for us, you know, it's, it's a business and, you know, and there are um, situations where people lose their jobs. And as Milo right, quite rightly said, Wagner at Huddersfield lost his job yep. um, and he was quite highly thought of there. And it's, you know, it's, it's you know, we had to twist. You know, we, we had to kind of make a change to try and change the course of how this, this, this football was going. Um, 
we've been given a glimmer of hope. Um, whether it's enough, I don't know. Um, it all pins on obviously, you know, this January transfer window and what we do. And I think it's all got to start Tuesday night against Brighton. I think if we come away with a minimum of a point there, um, I, th- I think it's curtains for us, really. Okay. Um, but you know, for me, um, we had to make that change. Whether it's going to be the right one, we don't know yet. Um, I feel sorry for Savisa. I, I do feel he's a big part of the club, and I thought he brought a brand that made us very attractive. And you know, he, he made us the team that we were last year. Uh, but we're now kind of a laughing stock of the division, and it's all pointing fingers at Fulham at this moment in time. And it's, yeah. it's not a good situation to be in. Um, you know. Harbert last year, and we're, we're straight back down to where we started from. So, um, look, I'm I'm hoping we get out of this. There's a big job to do, yep. um, but once again, um, one of the biggest factors is January transfer window. We've got four days to go, and we haven't made an impact. <laughs> we're going to talk about the person who's in charge of that in just a second, Scott. But before we go there, give me a rating. Uh, I think I think uh, Emilio, you said very poor, correct? Yeah, it's poor, really. To be honest, poor. with bottom two. Okay. Scott? Poor. Poor. Okay, so you're going poor. I'm going to go poor as well. All right, Scott, I'm going to go right back to you. Let's talk about director of football for Fulham Football Club, Tony Khan, head of recruitment. So it all starts with him. He's the one making the decisions. Obviously, he has a staff underneath him. I'm going to give you four categories. Poor, average, good, and excellent. Those are our categories that we've been doing throughout the show. Where do you put Tony Khan? Okay. Um, I'm not going to give him a poor because I feel um, that that's a little bit too severe for him. Um, I'm going to give him an average. Um, okay. I'm not his biggest fan, um, as you know. Um, but, you know, that's not to say I don't think Tony, um, you know, doesn't try um, and his heart's in the right place. And I feel that he does try and do the best for his football. I think club. he does too. I think his heart's in the right place. It, it is. What what gets me is that we seem to have a brand, we seem to have a style in, in how we conduct our business, that we always seem to be, you know, people that are always late to the party. Um, we're always messing around. We're always, you know, messing up deals. We're always leaving it a little bit too late. And for once, I'd just like us to get stuff done. Now, yeah. I don't know whether that's down because, um, you know, Tony's inexperienced, because he is, um, you know, People may say otherwise, but when you look at it from from how Tony has come into this club and from his position to director of football, you know he's orchestrating buying players and do whatever. I mean, the, the guy's never done this before in his life, and you know he's he's now he's in one of the top divisions in the world with, with zero experience whatsoever. Um, you know, we I don't know what him. Um, I know that he's going to have a few sort of head coaches. Um, he's got Alistair McIntosh there that obviously. Um, Controls obviously finances and that kind of side of it, but you know it's it, it's got to be down to him to 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 really pick a player. And I don't feel that it's been one of our massive strengths this season, Russ. Um, we were late to the party again in the summer. Um, okay. We are late to the party again in, in January. And for us to have built a decent platform this season in the Premiership, especially sort of leaving it obviously late coming in from the playoffs, yep. we need it to be on the ball. We need the right type of players. We need the right type of platform. We need the right type of start. And that hasn't been delivered. Um, you know, and we've made this switch. We've, you know, we, we've said, right, enough's enough, Silvisa. And bless him, poor bloke lost his job because seven straight defeats. Um, his style of football's not good enough. We're leaking goals at the back. And we decided to bring in, you know, a world-class coach who, who's won titles with, 
you know, Leicester. And we've turned around and told him, you know, we'll back you. Um, and as far as I can see it at this moment in time, that's with four days to go in the window, we haven't yep. backed him. Um, he's still working, bar obviously Ryan Babble with yep. the same back four that Savisa had to work with before that was leaking goals there for Iron Centre and is at championship quality. Um, now, for me, if you're struggling in a position like that, we should be drafting experience to, to at least help us in, in this position because we knew oh, that in February to, to, to make some kind of impact or to, to push on and get out of this mess, we needed to be quick. We need to be quick. We need to be clever. And we've, we've, we've been neither. Um, and for me, even if we start bringing in players Monday, Tuesday, they're not going to be ready for Brighton. Um, end of the window, it, it's far too late. They need to start coming, you know, sort of pre-Burnley for me. Okay. Um, but again, as I say, I'm I'm not his biggest fan. Um, I've got nothing against the guy. Um, for me, I just feel that possibly in the position that he's very inexperienced in, and if he's yeah. to continue as director of football with this club, he needs to bring in someone with experience because we have come up, we spent a lot of money, we've gone down, or possibly gone down with you know, with not a lot of effort, um, and that is a lesson that's going to need to be learned from severely. Okay, and. I think average is fair. I see why you went with average, Scott. Over to you, Emilio. And uh, I'm going to let Scott mention this because, again, uh, I believe that Tony's heart is in the right place. I, I totally believe that. Been on the show. I want to thank Tony for when he came on. Talk to us. But um, we're just judging the job of the recruitment, Emilio. And I think Scott was being fair. What kind of rating would you give it? Yeah, I'm going to give him average as well. I don't think it's as easy to to slag him off and slate him for not purchasing the right players. But on paper, like we said earlier, if you saw the players that he purchased six months ago, we were all fairly satisfied as a as, as yeah. And we're I have all, to admit that, that I, I was satisfied. So. You know, so, so we were all commending him, applauding him. And let's look back on some of the tweets that we, you know, his engagement with the, with the fans, you know, that was yep. at a time high six months ago. Fans were applauding him. People, they were grateful. They spent a lot of money. You know, they, they've, they, a lot of fans took a lot of it there were always a lot of doubt about how much investment the club would make. Obviously, he, he shut the fans up pretty much by spending over 100 million. The fact that we haven't purchased the right level of quality or the right breadth of quality, I think that's the key thing. Either we've gone for the, the very, very spectacular or the very, very average. There's not enough in the middle, and, uh, and that's a problem. But ultimately, he's, he means well. You know, there have been a few disappointments recently when his engagement with the fans has been a little bit more negative than positive, only tweeting or messaging when, when we got a draw or a win. So that's more less often than we would like, but the fans would like to see him more engaged, maybe. And when the chips are down, see your direct, you know, see your uh, head of recruitment there, you know, with the fans, you know, you know, feeling the pressure just like we are as fans. And I'm no doubt he is as well. But he's got the unenviable task of trying to attract the right players in a team that's likely to go down. That that's the challenge we have at the moment. Yeah, it's hard. So we're in twelfth or thirteenth. And we just needed a couple of reinforcements in defence just to secure mid-tables. That's a different story. We're now trying to attract players who um, either come on loan, but then we have to release some of our loan players. So that's a challenge. We can't over-invest in, in top-quality players because there's no guarantee we'll stay in this division. So he's got a big, a, big, a big task here, which is one of the reasons why I think we haven't seen much activity in the transfer window because they're still de- debating or trying to identify individual players who they can commit to buying or loaning. Sure but also doing a lot of negotiation and so forth, or put contractual obligations in their contracts. Sure. So if we do go down, then those players may need to be released. So it's it's not a, not an easy situation you know, to attract the right players. There's a lot of players we would like to purchase, but Gary Cahill is a good example, but yep. 
we're talking about £150,000 wages that either Gary Cahill has to take a reduction or Fulham has to match those wages. And that, that's the reason why, one of the reasons why we haven't signed him. And the reason, and plus he doesn't want to play for a team potentially in the championship next season. So there's a lot of factors, which sure. if I was in the same position, I'm not sure I'd want to make my next move to a club that's likely to go down. Now, there are a lot of things going into it. And I'm glad that you mentioned all the challenges that he has because he has a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that you guys both said average because, again, I'm going to be the first to say I was happy this summer. It just hasn't worked out that way. So I think rating it poor would be harsh because he tried. It just hasn't worked out. And um, so I think average is fair from the both of you. Guys, we do have to finish up the show, but let's end this way. Scott, I want to go to you. Final thoughts are going to be moving forward, okay? What do you need to see moving forward that would give you hope that we have a shot at staying in this division? Um, for me, I think you've got to see a minimum of four players come in this window, um, especially sort of defensive qualities. I think we can probably get by with the midfield and, and possibly a striker to support uh, Mitrovic. I think that's a must. Um, I think if our transfer window ends, we've just been babbled one other. I think um, I, I just don't think we're going to stand a chance, to be honest with you, Russ. Um, we need to start unifying that team from Brighton, we need a convincing result Tuesday night. As I said, I think if it's another loss or or a bit of a drab draw at home, you know, I think you can chalk ourselves out of it um, because I don't think we're going to go to Palace and get anything and then push on and get anything for the bigger games. So, you know, he's really his last chance saloon for us. I know we've been saying it, you know, from yeah. Burnley games and stuff like that, but um, we're seven points adrift now. Call it eight with our goal difference. Um, if we get no points on Tuesday night and, and somebody else around us doesn't nick a, uh, you know, another win, it, it, it's kind of curtains to us. Um, so we've got an important week this week. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that Tony and, and Co are really scratching away at getting some some decent acquisitions through the door. And as Emilio rightly said, you know, they have to be the right sort of players. I mean, I don't absolutely. Want to in, you know, sort of players just to please the fans. It's, it's not what it's about. And I don't want him spending millions just to obviously be a waste. Um, We've we done that in the, in the 13, 14,000 season. Um, it has to be uh, the right players, yeah. Scott. I, I agree it, with it you does. 100%. And, and, and I 100% agree with that. As I said, I'm, I'm not Tony's biggest fan at the moment. Um, but at the same time, I know that he's also got a difficult job on, on top of what he's got to do. When yep. you look at Fulham as a club now where they're sitting, you know, the stuff that's going on behind the scenes, you know, all the stuff in the paper, you know, would you want to come to Fulham? Really? Um, you know, and that's one of the biggest battles he's got. I know. Um, if he pulls this off, you know, I'll, I'll personally fly out and I'll go and treat him to dinner. I really will. <laughs> um, you know, because I, I feel that he's probably got a bigger job keeping this club up than obviously Roy did. Um, yeah. I, I just feel we're in, in, in a more, we haven't got that unity of players. And that hasn't right. even come, at least, at least with Roy, he built something and week to week. You can yeah, see they had that unity. It, it started yeah. to build. And yeah. um, fortunately, we, Ranieri doesn't have that yet. No, no, it hasn't. Nothing sparked it, Russ. Nothing. I know. You know there is you know, no spark. There is no spark, and it really needs to start. And if some, you know, if Tony can pull this off, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll apologise to him. I really would. You know, I'll ask him <laughs> the hands up and say, you know, Tony, you know, apologise, and you've done a cracking job. Um, and you know, for me, I hope, it, I hope he does. I really okay. do. Okay. But it has to start from Tuesday. It has to start from Tuesday, and we okay. have to have a good rest of the week in this window. Okay, excellent. Neil, I'm going to give you the final word on this. How do Fulham stay in this division? What do they need to do? That's, I, I think, the way I'm, I think we should be ending this show because, again, we're talking about mid-season review. 
we are, you know, just looking at the end of the January transfer window. So there's a lot riding on, I guess you could say this next week. So thoughts. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's, it's, it's taking your chances. I think, yes, it goes without saying that we need to strengthen. So without reinventing reinvent the wheel again, it's, it's, it's killing games off. You know, we've talked earlier in the show, 10, 11 games that we've taken the lead this season and not won the game. That's what we need to start doing. Take the lead or protect, you know, go in at halftime without being behind and then push on second half. But we've got to score more than one goal in the game. And that's what we need to do to win the game. So even look at Roy for his first few weeks in charge. He struggled. Breda Hanglin wasn't the most inspired signing in the world. Let's be very honest. When we when we signed Breda Hanglin, most people were saying, who? You know, what's, what, what's the big fuss about? Is that the best we can do? But look, he's suddenly got gained authority in that sense of it. Maybe we just need a bit of luck. You know, yeah. get a bit of a player. Like maybe it could be Babel. It could be that player that we've we've missed all season that gives us a spark, gives us a, win, a boost, and suddenly we'll go on a winning run. <laughs> it's a funny game. It's a very, very funny game. I just think we just need one or two signs. I think we're going to get the four signings that Scott's hoping for. I think we get a couple, but they to make them effective signings, a bit of cover and depth in the team, and we can start taking those chances and win against Brighton. That that boosts confidence. That going to Crystal Palace away is a winnable game. Palace at home is, are not particularly strong this season. Yes, they beat Tottenham today, but their league performances at home aren't particularly great. So, I just think at the end of the day, we need a bit more luck, but we also need to be a bit more ruthless in front of goal. I think defensively, we are less generous conceding. We're yep. not scoring the other end, and that, that, that's the key to to surviving. Not conceding less is actually scoring more. That's our that's our key to success. Okay, excellent. There, great show, guys, and we've run long. This is going to be a supersized episode because we went very long. But thank you, Scott, for for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. No worries, Russ. It's been a pleasure to be on again. Okay, Emilio, thank you as always for joining me. This was a great show. I hope you enjoyed it. No, it's good. It's good to do. We just like to have the second part of the show. Like I said, it's two shows, both very lengthy. Just because of how much we've, there is to talk about. Hopefully, in a few weeks' time, we'll have a part three where we talk about Fulham being on a winning run. You never know. That would be good. Never know. It would, it would be good to revisit this for a part three. I, I'll take the uh, trilogy, okay? But and but if it is a trilogy, it's got to be a, a good third part to the trilogy. All right, great job, guys. But we do have to wrap this up. For my co-host, Scott Tanfield from Friends of Fulham and Emilio Donnell, I'm Russ Coleman. Thank you as always for listening to Cardiff's Talk. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.